welcome to the Mindful Surfer podcast with myself, Will Foster, and my co-host, Liam Morgan, who has surfed recently in what was probably 0.5 to 1. (laughs) We're now measuring surf in inches, not feet. It was small. Oh, it was small. It had a little little edge to it, like a little bowl shape to it, which, by the way, anyone who's surfed even more than, like, you know, six months even will be able to hear this and go, hell yeah. It's when you have a bowl shape, doing turns is easier because you think of the physics. If you have a flat line Mm -hmm. and then you want to put your board out of rail onto the next rail, so transition from toe back to heel, you know, a full turn. If you have a flat wave, it's harder to do just purely on the physics of of angles Mm. because you haven't got as much board in the water, so it's harder to balance, basically. As soon as you get a bowl shape, and you know that shape, it sort of curves. Oh, man. I love that. There's a wave in in Portugal called Beliche, and it's down in the Sagres region. And that is the bowliest wave I've ever surfed. And I tell you, I do my best, best surfing on bowly waves. You can sort of time your lip smack so much more because the whole angle and the physics of it all just is just easier. It's just wonderful. Have you surfed? Um, obviously, we surf Morgan together. That's a yeah. That's a very bowly wave. It is. It's not your favourite wave, though. No, it's, I've been beaten up there you, so many times. But I think it's like going to a really rough pub <laughs> and always getting punched in the face. <laughs> They do not like me in that bar. I know, I know. I think you're due a good one there. I think if you have a good one there, it might shift the mind. You might go, I've had like Ooh. two good ones and two really bad ones. It's just when yeah, that Evo hit me in the side of the head. I know. And I was like, oh, thank God it was an st- Evo as well. And, and then, <laughs> I've got to tell the listeners this story. Then you stood on a weaver fish oh, God, as yeah. you were getting out of the water. Yeah. Now, if you're abroad and you don't know what a weaver fish is, in the UK, we have this little fish that sits in the sand waiting for... It's prey. It's unexpected, lonesome character walking along with the bare feet. You need bare feet to get done by this little bad boy. <laughs> and you stand on the fucker. And it's initially when it happens, you feel like you've stood on a needle. Yeah. And then, oh no. And it sort of dawns on you. And then you get this, oh. But I've got to say, on a subject of poisonous creatures, I've got to mention my buddy Jack, because we haven't mentioned Jack on this show yet. And I could tell about a million stories about Jack on surf trips. <laughs> but I told you about Jack the other day, didn't I? So we've got to tell the listeners. That this guy had landed in Bali. I'd been in Bali for three days. And this guy is the most accident-prone human being I have ever encountered in my life. I could tell you a load of stories, but I'll just tell you this one about poisonous creatures. I was in Bali early. I was there on my own for three days, which, by the way, really, really cool. Being totally on your own, surfing on your own. Very surreal, actually. Getting taxis on your own. You know, read your book on your own in bed at night. You know, I've never done the full solo deal like mm. that. It was good fun. He arrived and I was like, mate, we've got to go surfing straight away. And it was Belangan which is a lot of you know, is one of the point breaks that's around from Uluwatu. Absolutely macking. It was huge. And there was three guys in, which tells you a hell of a lot because it's normally about 40, 50, 60. So I was like, Jack, come on, we got to do it, we got to do it. And he's like, all right, I'm a bit jet lagged, but yeah, go on, go on, let's do it. Went out. Anyway, he got absolutely annihilated. We had to go to hospital. Um, he had tons of stitches. He was out of the water. That was it. Boom, out of the ocean. It took him two and a half weeks for the wounds to heal. And we then moved up the north of Bali to a wave called Madewi, which, by the way, Kelly Slater's got a little bit of footage of him surfing it just recently. King Kelly. King Kelly. I know it's a wave that you would absolutely adore. It's a very mellow left point break. It's beautiful shouldery wall, never barrels. It's just a stunning wave. It's like you can go for like a mile. It's a great wave. Anyway, we were there and Jack's pretty lazy. So he's like, I'll always take a shortcut. I was like, look, I don't want to wear boots. I hate wearing reef boots. So I'll do the paddle. 
So you can do the paddle where you enter in down at the very end of the point and you paddle all the way around to the very top, right? This guy, Jack, we're doing this Dorney. He hadn't been in the water for two and a half weeks. <laughs> Honestly, you can't write it. He was walking through the keyhole instead because he was lazy. He said, no, I don't even need, I don't need boots, I don't need boots. <laughs> and le- next thing you know, he stood on an urchin. Oh, no. And they counted 60 spines, roughly, that they had to pull out of his foot. <laughs> oh, no so he was then out of the water for another six hours. As they, the locals, he was on the bed and they had these tweezers and they were putting them out one by one. One by one. And when we came in from the surf, <laughs> me and my brother, actually, it was my brother. I was with Toby, who's probably listening to this now. And we came out and saw Jack again. My mm. image of Jack in that holiday was his ass in the air, laying on his front, reading a book. And again, it had repeated itself because he was getting these spines sticking up his foot and he was oh, laying no on his front. Way. And it's that thing in surfing. If mate's not had a great one, you sort of then don't really want to tell him how, quite how good it was. But you then a part do of you does not. as well. <laughs> When you're in those kind of places, the humid, hot, lovely, when things are going good, they're brilliant places to be. But if you're injured or you've got bitten by something, I've got bitten in Bali the first time. I hadn't been with my very dear wife very long. And I went to one of my mates got married out there and uh, we'd survived flying Garuda Air, the time when you could smoke on the back of the plane as well. Whoa, no um, way. And it was great flight, actually. And everybody's like, don't fly Garuda. (laughs) You'll die. We got there. Great checked into this place and um i'm like oh this is cool where bali is a cool place my first time there i don't know 15 20 years ago and uh got bitten in the night and i react so badly to mozzies and i woke up next to thankfully she saw the beauty within next to my wife <laughs> who was a girlfriend at the time and she she looked at me with horror and i was like what <laughs> i looked in the mirror and I looked like the sort of reincarnation of the elephant man. It was absolutely horrific. My bites on my face. So yeah, start swelled up. up. Yeah, but seawater. As soon as you're in there, it starts to. It does way it, better. If you're listening to this and you haven't been to Bali, I would say that out of anywhere I've surfed, now it might be different now, and everyone, <laughs> everyone talks about that. Oh, it's changed now. It's so crowded. Jeez, listen, it was fucking always crowded. If you're talking about Jerry Lopez's area. When he goes there in the 70s for filming his, his mm. movie, I um, can't remember the name of it. Then, yeah, fair enough, uncrowded. But it's been crowded since the 90s. That's it. Boom. Bali's crowded. That's just, you have to accept it. And every generation says it's getting crowded. It, honestly, that line has been going on for years. And it's not that it's getting more crowded. It's just that you're getting craggy. Yeah. You're getting older. <laughs> yeah. That's what's changed. It's like repeats the generation. The music's it, rubbish these days. Like, honestly, dude. It's just, I swear, in. A hundred years, there'll be someone else saying, oh, it's crowded nowadays, it's crowded. Anyway, if you haven't been to Bali and you want to progress your surfing, it's the best place I've ever been for helping progress my surfing, in particular backside, because I'm a regular footer and it's mostly left. The thing with the waves in Bali is when you're finally on one, you get more turns in that done in that wave than you might get done in six months of being at home. So if you work out the maths, you can sort of end up speeding up your gains in terms of surf maneuverability, in terms of like, okay, roundhouse cutback, off the lip, barrel riding, floater, you add all that together, you can speed it up and leap ahead by some huge margins by just being in this one place for that period of time. So if you can do an, basically an Indo trip, if you can do an Indo trip, it'll do you wonders. But like you said, Liam, it's not all paved with roses and petals because, geez, when it goes bad in Indo, yeah. anywhere hot like that, yeah. where there's not great you know, health services yeah. and sometimes you're in remote locations and... It's like that. You're not in Kansas now, Dorothy. Yeah, <laughs> we, damn straight. Yeah, I have less experience of proper surf trips. I mean, interestingly, where I was in Bali, 
I've kookily took out a board and went with these Aussies and some Japanese surfers for a quick surf where I was annihilated. I struggle surfing these days, but I definitely could not surf back then. But what I lacked in ability, I had in sort of fearlessness then, because youth is a, is a great sort of antidote to fear, isn't it? But I remember sort of thinking I looked super cool standing on the shoreline with these Aussies, you know, when you're in your bodies and you're about to sort of paddle out. And I didn't even think about size of surf at the time. And then I just heard this voice on the beach from somebody who's obviously very concerned about the impact of uh, mosquito bites on me. So I was worrying about the size of these waves and what it was going to do to my body at the time. Just this little voice that said, stay where I can see you. <laughs> like your mum on the beach. And these guys, these Australian guys turned <laughs> me. You know, said, yeah. said, uh, is she with you, mate? Like, look back on the beach and said, no, no, never seen her before in my life. <laughs> I have no uh, idea who that person is whatsoever. I wish he was showing the same level of concern now when we go to Morganport, yeah, as yeah, we were saying. Yeah. I love coming back with stories of success or failure to my wife, of just how it gets the same reaction. It cracks yeah. me up. So I come back and say, oh, honey, honey I got a shouldery barrel, and then I did a off the lip, and oh, I went down the line, and you know this happened, and that happened, and I felt so good. Oh, well done, sweetheart. That's lovely. Yeah. And then, oh, honey, I, f- I could not get a wave. I got frustrated with the crowd. My feet kept landing in the wrong place on the board. I couldn't get my, my snap dart. I felt, oh, that's nice, dear. Like it, yeah. <laughs> in the end, when we're discussing our post-surf stuff, to our loved ones, it's kind of like, it's just, they know that they just need to listen. Because whether it's gone well or hasn't gone well, they're just listening. And really, you if, what I mean? if they had subtitles, it would say something like, I'm smiling, but I couldn't give less of a shit if I tried. <laughs> yeah. Like the sticker on the forehead is, I don't give a fuck yeah. how well or how badly your surf went. Tell me anyway. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah exactly. But tell me anyway, sweetheart. Exactly. Now, we all have that. Well, we did surf the microest microwave. Yeah. I do love those waves. Yeah. The smaller, the better. You are the micro surf champion. I got onto the seafront holding my board and I saw you on a 0.75 foot <laughs> wave getting little sort of up and downs in like s turns is how they describe yep. i guess and you were just hitting the lip and dropping down fair play mate and that is on a minute wave you're a dial but when i've seen you in the gym i've said to you this before you have a remarkable snap and you have a very very low center of gravity your hips are incredibly mobile what you have in that department you also then lack in gluten and hip power mm. So you have incredible mobility around your hips, which gives you a wondrous ability to to snap into microwaves, get a little head dip down the line. I've seen you do some crazy shit on small waves. When the waves get juicy, where you're working on your stuff is how you can hold torque. Massively, yeah. And big power, because it takes tremendous strength to actually smack lips when you're going at like, what, 20 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour on a fast wave. It's a different level. So it's a different thing then. But everyone's got their thing. Everyone's got their thing that they're, you know, for me, my snap is definitely my weakest thing. Mm. But then my strongest thing is putting in a, a power curve on a bigger wave. Hugely, yeah. So it swings in roundabouts. But I tell you, honestly, dude, and you are very good. micro But it's, it's training those weaknesses as well. I just want to say, though, before we go, because we talk about boards a lot as well, and I, I watched my great sort of YouTube pals on me talking about Quiver of Ant, who is um, Clayton's been sort of putting through his paces. And we've got exactly the same board. So that board that is great for those microwaves is the Mick Fanning 510 Little Marley Soft Top. I heard this guy, Ant, if you haven't checked them out, check Ombi and their sort of um, surf tuition. He described it as an accidental ripper. And I thought that was a great term for that board because I found it exactly the same thing. And I put the quad set back in and it is just exactly that. It's so quick along those 
like fun summer waves and looking at the sort of joy scale. So you've got your kind of surf scale and the, wow, that wave's brilliant and you can perform these maneuvers on it and that's all well and good. But on some of those tiny little waves or crowded summer breaks, it's a really great bit of kit for having fun and it's not going to wipe anybody out as well if you sort of run over them. I love it. It's been a fantastic board for me. That It's really, dude, honestly, you've progressed a hell of a lot on that board. And you do some wonderful manoeuvres on it. I think the manoeuvre where you come up into your S-turn and down has really developed your surfing. It's allowed you to progress into your pump phase, that pumping action on the board, developing speed. But one thing I want to say, on microwaves and small waves and junky waves and quote-unquote crappy waves, whatever they are, is that I will say hand on heart from personal experience, having surfed for 15 years, roughly two or three times a week, that as you go further and further and further through the journey, it becomes harder to get true, genuine flow experience from waves that aren't going to give you a challenge in the classical sense. Because what I've noticed in a lot of surfers is they get kind of grumpy about that. They get a bit, oh, fuck, it's like this and it's like that. And they get kind of really pernickety, you know, very um, highly sceptical as to whether or not something that's two-foot and messy could give them joy. Now, the challenge then becomes a question of how can I create a challenge out of this? The way to create a challenge out of something that potentially would underwhelm you is to A, try a different board straight away. That goes right down to the stuff we've talked about in terms of, you know, belly boards, yeah, boogie plates. boards, longer boards, mid-lengths, etc. So experiment outside the box and what you normally ride and what you normally do. But also challenge yourself to see how mindful you can be in that experience. That's the ultimate challenge, really. Because you can get on any piece of different equipment that you want and create this great novel experience. And that's all well and good. But when the waves are junky and messy, and there's not long rides, you're not really up on your feet gliding on the green wall that much. It really, when you're surfing junky waves, which is, by the way, probably most of us most of the time, if you're really frank about it, the challenge is all that stuff when you're not on the wave. Because the whole premise of waves that, again, quote-unquote crappy, is you're not necessarily standing on a J-Bay eight-foot wall, are you? You're on a wall that will probably last about three seconds. And you're paddling around trying to find the peak. So you're trying to find a peak, you're paddling around the crowd, you're doing it. And the challenge to all of us surfers, as mindful surfers, is how can we stay centred and calm and enjoying the experience when the waves aren't absolutely A1? And And that's the ultimate question. That's the ultimate quest. I am the absolute first to admit. I find it really challenging. I do. And I look at the way sometimes and I go, oh, and my thoughts are, it looks shit. I do have a line. Don't get me wrong. I think everyone has, I do have, mm. definitely have a line. But at the end of the day, the question then becomes, will having got in the ocean and having got wet and having been in that sea, will that overall do me more good than harm? And in the end, it's definitely the former. It's that it will do me good. It's just getting in there. The hair is wet, the negative ions, we talked about this, the salt, the environment. Minerals, everything. Yeah. But there is the painting of the metaphor for life in surfing, isn't there? So if you go, okay, surf is life, and that's what we're learning about these things in the ocean, and how do we, as the UK Surf Show guys asked us, what's the lessons? And the more I think about that question after the time we spoke to them, the more you look at these situations where you say, really, you can only ever deal with what's put in front of you at any given time. And it's in the mind and the body's response to that situation that is beyond your control at that time, because that's the here. You just you are there. It's how you then respond to that. Those kind of junky, micro, choppy, mush burgery conditions that we are presented with, more often than not, as you say, if you can channel your joy and best energy into that, you get good joy and energy back from it. 
But the challenge is that that is not always a straightforward or easy thing to do because you've had other experiences. And in the same way that life can't always be a three-week sun-drenched trip to the tropics, neither can your surf be barreling or peeling or bowling waves, whatever it is that gets you excited. There will be some great stuff, and that's a guarantee that the good stuff will come along. But as sure as the good stuff will come along, the, in inverted commas, the bad stuff will come along. And it's just what you do with it when it presents itself that is important. Well said. And also, it's mad to think that if you had pumping surf every day, day after day, day after day, day after day, and you lived by it and you just, you were in it, it's mad to think that eventually you'd adapt to it. Because in research into positive psychology, I've quoted this study before, but I'll quote it again. It's so powerful. You had these two groups and they were monitored in terms of their what's called subjective well-being. That was a score, okay? And then they had them in this situation. So they would have a life event happen. So what happened was what one half of the group, their subjective well-being plummeted because they had become paralyzed. This is how they monitored it. They looked at para- uh, people who had recently been made paralyzed mm-hmm. in an accident and those who had recently won the lottery. Now, the assumption is is that obviously that amazing amount of money, you get this huge high and you're going to be on this high forever and ever, amen. And the same way that you lose the ability to walk, that you're going to forever and ever be depressed. And what's fascinating is that after six months, subjective well-being went back to what it was before. So if you were, let's say, an eight out of 10 human, generally pretty chipper, pretty positive, pretty grateful, and you had the incident of, the, of losing the ability to walk, it would take you roughly six months before you adapt to your environment and come back to your original well-being. The question then becomes, okay, well, if, if we're going to adapt to everything, what's the fucking point? Like, what's the, what's the fucking point in having dreams and wanting to do more and wanting to have more and experience more? Well, in the end, the best reason is for the person that you will become on those journeys. It's that character building. It's the courage you have to build. It's the fortitude, the acceptance, the working on your weaknesses. It's all the stuff you have to work on that really is where the joy is at. Yes, you get these pockets, these moments where you're suddenly on the wave of your life. And it's amazing, obviously, but it's so fleeting. So what is it that really develops happiness overall in people is actually is having goals. It is. But it's actually just the work towards them. It isn't the achievement of themselves. If we have this idea that it's the achievement of the goal that'll make you happy. Far from it. But it's nothing to do with that at all. That is a fleeting bang, flash of a moment, gone. So what is it that we really need? And what is it we want? What is it that makes us thrive as surfers? It's setting yourself challenges, setting yourself goals, seeking novelty. And it's the journey that really is what creates this deeper well of happiness. Because it fascinates me and it humbles me. And listen, I'd be the first to admit that fucking hell... (laughs) The mental ways, you know, when I'm knee deep in kid shit from one of them, I mean, he's got this thing at the moment where he just dumps on the floor. He just does it for fun almost. When I'm knee deep in that and I'm thinking of the chores left to do and I'm, there's no surf and it's flat and you're thinking of bills to pay. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm like any human in the planet. If someone said, Will Foster, here's a ticket and it takes you straight to the mental ways right now. Three weeks, boom, there you go. And we, by the way, we've, we've bought you a quiver. Is this Biolos who's been yeah. in touch? Finally. Is that what, that's we've what's got, happening, right? We've got the Swedish netball team are going to personally massage you after surfs and before, if you like. You've got all your food catered for it. Like, listen, you could go to town on that. But if someone said, look, that's there right now, take it. Obviously, I would feel temporarily happier and it would be a great break. But like anything, you just adapt. It's acceptance of where you're at and everything passes, doesn't it? So ride the waves, the highs and the lows as best you can. But as we always say, almost as a disclaimer, we're trying this stuff ourselves, certainly, because we're all human. So you, you easily fall off 
the mindful sort of train sometimes and go, oh shit, I better get on to the next stop because... Uh, I like that. Yeah. And I think that's how I see it. You go, okay, I just, oh, I've slipped up there, but I'll go again. It is a challenge when you're faced with the mundanities or the stresses and pressures and whatever else presents itself of the real world that we're in. Those kind of crappier conditions certainly give you a flavour of how to make the best of the sort of worst situation in many respects. Damn straight. Well said, my friend. Ooh, gone on one there. Philosopher's Corner. Yeah. Two philosophers or budding philosophers. Yeah. Well, you're definitely very philosophical. I love that uh, about you. You've always brought philosophy to our conversations. That's what actually got this whole thing started. Philosophy um, without the hemp sandals. <laughs> so true. Sorry to upset any hemp yeah, sandals. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, and if you wanted, Hey, listen, I'd have a pair. Mate, hemp sandals. What's wrong with that? Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you connect with what we do here at The Mindful Surfer, why not share it with your friends? Or go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Because the more ratings we have, the more likely it is Liam and I can come back week after week and keep building this community of mindful surfers. Now, let's get back to the show. Second number two, Mindful Surfer, just a couple of moments to check in with the breathing. Raise the awareness of your mind and body. So let's take a breath in through your nose. And breathe out. And breathe in. And breathe out. And take a breath in. And breathe out. Just really pay attention to the air going in your nose as you breathe in. And be really focused on the feeling of air going out. Concentrate on the feeling of air going in and concentrate on the feeling of air going out. Good work, guys. Concentration and focus play a huge role in surf performance because the slightest loss of focus and concentration in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the battle, in that steep takeoff or that critical maneuver or nose ride on the pocket, whatever it is that you like to do to challenge yourself in your surfing, the slightest loss of concentration and you fall off. It doesn't go according to plan. So the thing with the training that we do on ourselves as surfers is predominantly physical. You know, we work on snaps off the ground. We work on our leg strength for turns and, and we work on our twist ability, flexibility, core stability, strength, you know, poise, all the things that make surfers much better at their surfing and take them into new rooms. Like you always say, you want to enter into a new room. If you weren't able to do roundhouse cutbacks completely, work at them enough, work, embrace and enjoy that journey. Eventually you'll be able to do them. And what a wonderful feeling that is. It's the feeling of getting better. It is the journey, isn't it? But what gets massively neglected, although less today, is the mind training. Because it's invisible and it's not as obvious. So you look at a sort of training program on Instagram for surfing. You flick through it and you, it's very obvious straight away, like, oh, yeah, that, it's tangible, right? You see, okay, I see the biomechanics there. I can see that there's a squat going on. If there's weight in the squat, it's going to punish the legs, give it a couple of days recovery. You stand on a surfboard wall, voila, you have a very definitive, finite result to your training. Mind training, who knows? It's very open. And it's very unknown and it's nuanced and it's unclear, except to the person doing it themselves. 
that's what makes mind training so interesting because only you and only you alone know where your mind is at. So when you undertake a mindful journey, you really get into this thing of, you know, what is that? And what that is, is becoming more mindful of your thoughts because there are thoughts of loss of focus. And it's not to say then there are thoughts of focus because what we're actually looking to do in mindfulness training to become better at surfing is to achieve no mind, a mind that's blank. You then go, oh, okay, cool. So is meditation going to do that? If I try and sit and to not think, will that get me to no thoughts and then improve my surfing? Well, <laughs> it's like trying to think of Donald Trump naked using a special glove for masturbation. It's like try not to think oh of, it's God. try not. Where does your brain go? <laughs> oh, my needs sorting I was out. trying to navigate that without offending yeah. too many people. I think yeah. Donald, yeah. bless him, he's probably the only guy that can get offended. Big D. Most other people go, yeah, go on, dig into Donald. But the point is, is that you aren't trying to get to know mind because the more you try and get to know mind, which is the place of your best surfing, it really is. We all, all surf at our absolute optimum, best, best, best when we're at no mind because we're in pure body. There's nothing that can create a loss of concentration when you are just so present like that. So you go, okay, well, let's do the mind training. Let's do the meditation training to get to there. And you say, yes, yes. But, and it's a ginormous but, size of Kim Kardashian's but, it isn't what you think. You don't get to know mind and more flow experience, either in or out of the ocean, by the way, by trying not to think. You actually are doing the opposite. When you meditate, what you're doing is you're observing thoughts and you're watching them. And by connecting, the biggest word, I can only use these words best of my ability because it's really, it's much more silent than that. But it's when you're connecting to the bit of you, whatever that is, who bloody knows, but the bit of you that exists in all humans that can observe a thought almost from afar, where you can almost watch it happening as it unfolds. And the more you train that bit of you, the mindful bit of you, the observer, the soul, the sentient being, whatever word you want to use to describe this unknown silent sphere within, is it enough time training your mind to spot when you aren't observing but have made the assumption that you are your thoughts because we become so swept up by our thoughts into this rabbit hole of this and rabbit hole of that and rabbit hole of the other because our mind, when it isn't awake to itself, and identifies with its thoughts. So the I and the my and the me become my thoughts and there's a complete loss of identity with who you actually are. It's What meditation does is it teaches you to, whoa, I was asleep. Where was I? the real I. And you're not saying that out loud because, of course, again, when you realise you've been asleep to your own thoughts, there's no thought about that. There's no way of describing what that is. You just do. You just, oh, look, I've noticed it. Now, enough time doing that with top athletes or amateurs or anyone else in between, enough time doing that, over, oh, spot it, oh, over. What you do is you're completely coming away from this distraction society, society we live in to a distraction-free focused mind that can anytime it wants to be totally still and totally present but it takes tremendous work it's really and, and it's fleeting isn't it even yes. somebody asked me the other day do you meditate a lot and what's and, and it's very different for different people and one mm -hmm. person's meditation is not the same for another it really becomes a personalized thing it's kind of hard to articulate as you say because no words can do it justice but it's the kind of philosophy of me is is that Joe Dispenza thing where it's like no place, no space, no time. It almost becomes, it's not quite yet for me and that kind of out-of-body experience, but to an extent it is that you you cease to be 
the thing that you've been presenting to the world for all of these years, you're just in that silence. But it's not silence in the sense that there aren't things in your head. It's silence from a point of view that they're not the dominant force. There's a sort of space between the thought, if you like. And therefore, the sort of the space you're in and the time that you're in as well start to dissipate somewhat as well. Those moments when you can just access that, that's when the vibrations are high. It's not just a sort of bodily feeling. It's a sort of something that runs all the way through your energy field, if that doesn't sound too woo-woo. It's something that occasionally getting more and more glimpses of. It's something I would say that's personal to everybody. But getting there is, for me, when the kind of real good stuff starts to happen. You use that bit of it, that meditative bit of it with breathing and so on, to work out how do you take that into more pressured situations? Can you achieve that in places that would otherwise be consumed by thoughts, fear, noise, you know, chaos, whatever else is going on in the world? Can you apply it to the chaos of reading the news? Can you apply it to the chaos of being in the family unit? Can you apply it to the chaos of being in, you know, traffic, et cetera, et cetera? And you start to bring some of those practices in. And as we say all along, and that's why there's a sort of mindful surfer vibe is some of that experience, and almost it was there without knowing it before, is gifted to surfers from the experience of riding that wave energy and being in a state where everything does slow down. The thoughts start to disappear. You can't really connect to the time because it's gone. The whole space is different. So you are given, as I say every week almost, the cheat code to that state by being in the water. So uh, and that's why the two align so perfectly for me. They do, they do. And the thing with surfers, we, we're naturally drawn to the ocean because of the meditative yeah. experience that it is compared to other sports because it's so different to other sports like that. It's very meditative. And I think that because you're in liquid, the ocean is this soothing aspect. Like you said, it is that back door into meditation because it's just sort of bringing you in. Well, listen, it can also <laughs> bring you out. As soon as I say that, at the same time, it can be horrendous. It could yeah. do the opposite as well. Yeah. But I think that um, the research I've done over the years as a mind and body coach meditation practice the sort of classical variety where you you sit to have a daily practice once twice three times a day whatever you do it does this fascinating thing to the brain which can help all sports people and what it does is it uh, helps develop the prefrontal cortex so the area of the brain that deals with focus can actually change in shape this is a really amazing thing just from the invisible work of meditation so that grows and they've done studies that show that people with X amount of experience in meditating, 10, 15, 20 years, however many years it is, have larger frontal cortexes and much smaller limbic system brain. So the limbic system is what we otherwise know as the lizard brain. And the lizard brain is part of your fight and flight system. So in people who are always dealing with distraction all day long, there's a likelihood it'll be a larger. What I'm trying to say is you can literally untrain yourself to feel less fear and to become less distracted on a neuroplasticity level, you can literally change the actual physiology of the brain. And that's where it's really cool how the research that's coming out and this kind of stuff is coming in. And as the years go on, that's going to keep on growing. But like you said, Liam, I think it's really important to mention as well that the classical variety of sitting and meditating, listen, I would personally recommend every single human planet do, I would, for so many reasons. But the thing with it is you find your own way and you find your own path. And that is absolutely imperative. And if someone's calm and well, and in loving their surfing and it's all going where they want to, what the hell, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. One thing I wasn't want to say, because it's important on two fronts. One is that actually there's a large body of research that helps, actually shows how surfing is good for mental well-being, 
you know, from a dealing with mental health or mental wellness and anxiety and all of those things, it can be incredibly restorative. But it's very hard to see injuries of the, if you like, mind, because they're not physical. You can see when somebody's broken their leg or their arm and it's very apparent. Whereas, you know, it takes time to identify and then repair kind of injuries of the brain and the mind, really. But from the sort of angle of looking at that as well, from your own development, it's easier for other people to see when it comes to surf training, some of the physical gains you may make from strengthening your weaknesses, like your legs and your glutes, or, you know, doing better upper body work or whatever it might be. There is a physical manifestation of all of the hard work that goes into achieving those goals. What is less easy for them to see at the beginning is the gains that you may have made with the mind work that you're doing. The person that sees that the most, and this is where the inner work comes in, you as the person that's benefiting from that knows how it feels. The physical aspect you can see in the mirror, but you have to look inside to know whether the mind bit is having the same effect. And it's only then when you go back to those situations, even if they're out of the sea, that would have previously been difficult to overcome in the same way that the chin-ups or the press-ups might have been difficult to overcome. It's only in then going back to those situations and tackling them that you can see where the gains of the mind have been made. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree. In hindsight, it becomes that wonderful thing, doesn't it? Yeah. You can go, oh, yeah, I used to yeah. do that, and now I don't. So maybe yeah. what I've done has helped. Yeah. And there's really, in a way, making that tangible is, is difficult. It's almost impossible because you don't really know for certain, unless you have like actual video yeah. footage of you surfing from 10 years ago yeah. compared to today, or five years ago, how, whenever it is you surf, started surfing to yeah. today, it's so hard to notice those gains unless you have that kind of concrete professional yeah. level evidence. So in the end, you've just really got to go back to those organic, authentic, internal feelings of, am I enjoying this? Yeah. How does it feel? That's it. That's, that's the, all in the end that matters. That's the ultimate thing. Yeah. And what's the energy like? Is the high? Is the vibe high? Is the vibration high? Mm. Am I happy with more situations than I was? Yeah. Quantifiability of it is very tricky, isn't it? Because you can Great say... Great word. Is it even a word? What a word. Where you can say, you know, last year I couldn't do a roundhouse cutback or I couldn't do 10 chin-ups or I couldn't do that weighted squat or whatever it is. Measurability of that is right there for everybody to see. What's more difficult to see is... Could I deal with that situation from a mind point of view? You'll know if it's there deep down. You know, it's easy to mask things like fear through ego and bravado, as we've talked about before. What do you mean I don't like big wave surfing? I love big wave surfing, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. It's only in yourself you know whether you've made those gains. Am I more comfortable in this situation now from a surf perspective even? Do I feel that I'm not pulling out of as many waves because of fear? Am I going for it? Is it an automatic thing now? Have I become more impervious to the lows of surfing as well as riding the highs? All of that stuff is quite an internal thing, isn't it? And eventually you can start to see it because it all connects together, doesn't it? You've got the body gains and you've got the mind gains and suddenly you're getting more flow from the experience of surfing. And hopefully you then get more flow from the experience of life. Damn straight. Because whatever you're getting out of your surfing that's helping it yeah. will also always help your nan. Yeah. How you are... Is how you are wherever you go. <laughs> so it's just when you're surfing better, life's going to be better. And when life's better, surfing's going to be, you know, they go hand in hand. Hugely. And that reminds us all the way back to the beginning, doesn't it? When you're talking about surfing in Bali, surfing big peeling waves, is that wherever you go, that's where you are. If you can make the most of putting the joy into all of those, let's call them mundane, lower, you know, less critical experiences. If you can put loads of stuff into that, then of course the highs will come back and they will be even more magnified. The joy will be like, off the charts then so it's kind of raising the overall 
energy and vibration you get from each experience. But it's hard to do. Because we're all human beings, isn't it? hard to do. And if it was easy, so much of the joy would evaporate. Yeah. As well. So it is. It's that we embrace that challenge. It's to be embraced, accepted. You sort of vow to yourself, right, this life thing, it's going to be hard, but fuck me, I'm going to bring everything to it that I've got. And with that kind of attitude, you get the results. Because you deserve. Yeah. You all deserve to have a good time. Oh, yeah. There's a Gandhi quote I want you to look up, Liam. While I just start this Mind Body Stoke thing, it's a Gandhi quote about doing things even the most mundane things well, because it needs doing or something like that. Can you look that up? Yeah, cool. Great quote. But we're going to come on to segment number three, Mind Body Stoke Things, and Liam and I have been working on the mind and body to raise the stoke. Now, for me, as I'm sure for you listening to this show right now, I love food. Food is, it's just so many things. Obviously, it's survival. Let's get that one out of the way. We've got to eat. But what it does also emotionally, and also what it does to our physiology, hormones, you know, our relationships. Food is a very affecting thing in our lives. I've discussed previously on this show many times with the different nutritional tweaks that I've been making to get the most from life and my surfing. And one of the tweaks I made, geez, two or three months ago now, related to going very low carb. Because when I dropped away all the carbohydrate out of my diet, up to my fat and protein, it helped me reduce inflammation in my knee and inflammation in my brain because my brain was feeling a bit foggy, a bit funny. And that's all well and good. And, and then that carries on. And one of the benefits of going on a, a dietary change is that you can end up leaning out. You can lose body fat because you're switching up your micronutrients or your macronutrients. If you ever you either drop fat or drop carbs, you're going to inevitably shift a little bit of body fat because you're eating fewer calories. Now, that's great for your surfing. It's wonderful. But the thing is, everything in this universe has a duality. And that was helping my surfing a hell of a lot. And I really enjoyed being leaner. I find if I snap off the floor as even a floor exercise or even do it on my board, I snap better when I'm leaner. But the thing is, it also affects my sleep. What I tend to find is as my body fat decreases, so does my testosterone. And there's been a lot of studies on this, uh, some really fascinating ones that show that everybody has what's called a set point. Now your set point is your set point of body fat that your body is most comfortable maintaining. So there'll be this one amount. It might be like for some people who are genetically gifted, it might be 5% body fat. That's their homeostasis. For other people, it might be 14%. Everyone has this one little point that they have their most wellness of where they're the healthiest. And what it will also be is when their hormones are at their most balanced. Now for a male and females in particular, because females have a lot of testosterone going around as well. Males obviously a bit more. For males, and I'll talk about myself personally, because obviously I'm a male, but the testosterone does definitely drop. And I lose a little bit of sex drive for sure. And also some strength in the gym as well. And lastly, my sleep quality becomes a little poorer. In the end, I've upped my calories. But maybe in the last two, three weeks, I haven't gotten massively fatter, but certainly put on a little bit of body fat. But I think I've back on a little bit more muscle and it's helped me feel way stronger. It's made my sleep way deeper. And that feels really good. It feels really restorative, really repairing. And I'm able to get into my kettlebell training. When I go to surf, I feel strong. Now, does my snap feel as light as it did in that leaner phase? No. The end point I'm getting to with this insight is there's no perfect solution to your diet, to your lifestyle, to your nutrition in how it relates to your surfing. Because as soon as you make a decision one way, it will have an effect. It's cause and effect. It's everything we do has an effect. I think in the end, it's about being able to A, embrace and enjoy and be grateful for what you have at any given moment and B, accept 
all the duality that comes with those things. For example, wow, I've got gratitude. I've got this amazing relationship with my wife. We love each other. We have this amazing time together. And I'm grateful for that. At the exact same time, there will be loads of stuff that comes with that to have to make it work. So that's how the universe works, yin and yang. So it's this thing where I'm currently quite enjoying adding extra butter to my meals. It's been butter I've increased and a few more carbs. And it does feel like when I sleep, I sleep deeper. And when I've actually, interestingly, when I've actually stood on my board, I felt way more powerful. So it might have helped my snap. But when I was doing my turns at an 87 kilo amateur athlete, whereas opposed to now I'm probably 90, 91, when I was doing those turns, they didn't feel as powerful. My muscles weren't as strong. So everything's got a little little weighing scale going on there. It's that old thing about walking the line between order and chaos because you can tip yeah. very easily into either side and that the impact on your uh, overall well-being of that, it can be significant. I can't find the, uh, the Gandhi quote. No, it's fine. Leave it for another day. There was one that Einstein said while I was looking for it that actually is quite interesting because it sort of ties in a little bit of that where it says a quiet and modest life brings more joy than a pursuit of success bound with constant unrest. Wondrous. How true is that? Yeah. Set point, Liam. Where's your set point? Are you in your, are you above or are you below? Or are you right where it needs to be? For me, there's a, I've gone more on the leaner scale than I have been for a while. There's a point where I think I need to also make sure I'm eating for balance so that I'm not just kind of shedding weight. I want to build power. For, as we were saying, my weakness that everybody who's been listening to this for the last few weeks knows is trying to train the leg power and the glute power which we're doing with these kettlebells at the moment. And that is a brutal, brutal workout. But it's then saying, well, how do I now feed that so that it translates into actual gains rather than it just depleting my energy stores and me being a kind of zombie around the house? <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky balance. I remember when I got to my, my lean-ist yep. and I'd never had less sex drive. I just had no interest in it at all. And it's a real example of how when you force anything in nature, it tends to have a bit of a negative consequence in the end. And what's really interesting is you sort of look your sexier. You know, you look like, oh, that's sexy. That's, you know, the sexiest I could be. Well, the media image of sexy. Well, all that shit. Totally, dude. And the amount of athletes who would be feeling anything but sexy is just monumental. But of course, we talk about this all the time. You see it on Instagram, you see these amazing athletes. They look so, so stunning, so lean. But being that lean, when you're not naturally supposed to be that lean, because everyone, like I said, everyone's got a set point. When your genetics don't dictate, you should be that lean. You skip periods. It messes with your menstrual cycle for females. It's really not a good thing at all. For men, it's, there's hardly any sex drive and there's much less muscle building, muscle repair. It's not a great thing, but it might look cool. That's the tricky bit. Well, you've nailed it there, isn't it? <laughs> and that's where the, you've got to get to that point where it feels good, not where it looks good necessarily. You've said this before, and, and I love how you said this functional fitness is because that's what i teach i mean my studio is sidmouth functional fitness studio but the way you summed it up is far better than i could have and i remember you saying before that it is it's find your functional weight not go for the body that looks a certain way what is the body that functions the best now listen we're all human as well and we all want to look our best but really if you want to perform in the surf it's to just focus on how is my body performing aside from the aesthetics just how is it performing how is your squat? How's your lunge? When you move, how do you move? How do you feel when you, what's your energy level like? Da, 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 da. And then when you're there, the byproduct of getting that point is whatever a better appearance looks like. Because you'll feel better as well, you'll emit higher energy. And that is, if you're into this, is probably what the other people notice. When somebody says, hey, you look well, 
it's all about how you feel and what you're projecting outwards that has a as much of an impact on that than if you can lift up your t-shirt and you've got whatever sort of three four five six seven eight nine ten pack that you're looking for <laughs> i haven't seen mine for i don't know 30 years but you know what i mean it's like if you feel good then that's all that really matters bang 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 uh surf media liam do you want to share anything I synced it in at the beginning, really like some of the sort of video content that the guys, Clay and, and Ant, are putting out on B, uh, particularly around the quiver that uh, Ant had. Um, I relate to that as somebody who's been going through some gears of trying to come back to in thinking you're surfing and not surfing. A bit like us, I think, you know, looking at hand planes, uh, belly boards, and then surfboards. It's a nice little watch, actually. So that's I would check that out. It's really cool. Um, I want people to check out... Well, you can if you want, but it just gets the conversation going. But it's J-O-B, as you all guys all know, Jamie O'Brien. On YouTube, he had a clip from their trip to Lowers. It uh, looked really fun, that, because it was kind of on shore, so no one was in. And I just thought, shit, that looks like the best day we've ever had yeah. in our local. But they were surfing, and his uh, partner, Tina, is it Tina? Yeah, Tina Cohen, yeah. Had a massive shark come right by her, and it freaked her out, obviously. And it gets the conversation going about sharks, because as surfers, if you, know, you want to go abroad, you want to surf pumping waves, let's say you live abroad, out of the UK, in sharky waters, should we say. It's there and it's the mind, isn't it? The thing we talk about in this show so much is the thoughts that we have and how they affect the body and how that then affects the mind again. The thoughts affect the feelings and the feelings affect the thoughts. And there's a sort of, it's like a game of table tennis, boom, boom, boom. And how do you manage your way through that? Well, the way to do it is to do whatever it is you need to do to remain calm. Now, for most of us, for me as well, especially it's deep breathing. And if you focus on the breath enough, it calms the physiology and it gets it all in the right place. Or if you sense that actually it's just too much for you mentally, that is, there's too much limbic activity, there's too much fear activity in the brain, don't surf in sharky waters and what's the big deal? I think sometimes as surfers, I know I've done this, it's almost like a slight pressure on myself to go to those certain ways because I know what they could do for me in terms of the joy that's there. Like JB is the way for me that I want to surf one day out of a lot of the ways I've surfed around the world, but I've never surfed in J-Bay, and it's a massive one for me, but obviously, it's really, really sharky. So you just have to just manage it the way that you manage yourself. And, you know, one thing I would say is, if someone on their way over to South Africa sat on the plane reading all of the statistics and how people got bitten and, and where they got bitten and why they got bitten, and if you read up loads and loads and loads and loads and took on all that kind of information, well, that's not going to do you any good for your fears. So I think what we've got to do as well is, is notice the conversations we have. Notice the thoughts that we have. Notice what we read. Basically, notice how we are. Because in the end, statistically, you are not going to get bitten. And that's the reality. You just will not. Yeah. There's greater risk in, geez, what was it someone trying to say to me? That, like slipping over in the bath? And it's it has a higher yeah. risk of death than sharks. And the more you get to know the monster, yeah. maybe the less frightened of it you are. There was a great one. I think she died recently. Eugenie Clark. She was a sort of a shark woman. She did a lot of stuff for National Geographic and started looking at personalities and behaviors of sharks and that diminishes the fear a little bit once you start to understand them now that doesn't mean that i'm not bloody petrified of the things because they freak me out living on this side of the planet we're very blessed in it our our waves on the the world scale might kind of suck let's be frank although we love them but we don't have sharks. No, and that's... Well, you have a lot of sharks, but they're not deadly. Swimming in Byron, for me, when I realised there were sharks there, I've never swum as fast. I mean, I was bragging about trying to big up my times the other day on the swim, but Christ, that was the fastest I've ever swum, was thinking about the stuff that was where I suddenly found myself. Fastest time from sea to beach, I think, anybody's ever done. 
I felt like food. <laughs> well, listen, guys, thanks for having us. Yeah. And uh, we shall see you soon. See you next week. Bye. Cheers, guys. <laughs>